Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, where we interview Eric and talk about how your net worth changes through a divorce, return on equity versus return on investment, and the power of house hacking. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen, and with me as always is my house hacking co-host, Scott Trench. Thanks, Mindy. Great to be here with my pity-paying co-host, Mindy Jensen. Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, to introduce you to every money story because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big-time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business, or understand the intricacies and consequences of marital law in um, uh, in a marriage uh, and finances will help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards those dreams. Scott, today we're talking about the financial consequences of a divorce and the fact that everybody has a prenup, whether they know it or not. Uh, like Aaron Lowry likes to say, if you don't have a prenup, yes, you do. It's the divorce laws in the state in which you are divorcing. So if you don't want somebody else to dictate what happens, you should get yourself a prenup. And we are talking with Eric today who did not unfortunately have a prenup. Ooh, spoiler alert. Uh, but if we were talking to somebody who had a prenup, it would be a pretty short episode. Hey, did you have a prenup? Yep. Everything went great. Bye. That would be a terrible episode. So before we bring in Eric to talk about the consequences of not having a prenup, let's go to our money moment. This is a new segment of the show where we share a money hack, tip, or trick to help you on your financial journey. Today's money moment is, do you like Starbucks? You want some for free? According to the company's terms and conditions, customers who use their Starbucks card or the mobile app to order are entitled to unlimited free refills on brewed coffee and tea. Do you have a money moment for us? Email moneymoment at biggerpockets.com. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, supporting local economies, and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Take control of your investments and secure a stable 8% annual return today. Visit pinefinancialgroup.com slash biggerpockets to learn more about the fund. That's pinefinancialgroup.com slash biggerpockets. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. 
head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. The easiest way to collect rent? Rent app. RentApp is a seamless, secure, free payment tool for small rental property owners like you and me. Built by a team of fintech veterans behind Square and Cash App, RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit rent directly into your account. Landlords love RentApp for its unbeatable convenience. Isn't it time you made rent collection easier? RentApp, the free and easy way to collect rent. Learn more at rent.app slash landlord. That's rent.app slash landlord. Eric is a program manager with 20 years of experience in the aerospace industry, working on various programs critical to national defense and human space flight. He plans to achieve fire through a mix of traditional stock investing, along with various methods in real estate, such as house hacking, multifamily syndications, and direct ownership of investment property. Eric currently house hacks in Golden, Colorado with his cat, Ace. Eric, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Let's jump right into it. Eric, tell us a little bit about yourself and your relationship with money growing up. Well, I grew up in the Midwest, middle class. Uh, My parents, I think, did a really great job modeling the important things in life. Um, Really focused on experiences more so than stuff. I have to imagine I remember getting some requests turned down of junk to buy, but never... uh, they never turned down things like sports, musical instruments, uh, you know, summer camp, stuff like that. So I didn't realize that at the time, but looking back on it, they instilled some really good habits, that being one of them, another being the uh, just family dinners. So I didn't have a restaurant and takeout habit to break once I grew up and moved out on my own. Um, so yeah, graduated college with uh, an engineering degree. And that's when I got my first taste of a recession. So that was uh, kind of an interesting, uh, interesting wake up call and introduction to the real world. My job that I accepted during my senior year, uh, that happened to be 2001 while the dot com bubble is bursting. So I got laid off without ever working a day in my life for my first company. <laughs> Uh, the, the funny side note to that is I actually got a small hiring bonus and a small severance package and yeah, never worked a day in my life for them. So, uh, that was, that was one of the, the two things. The other two that summer was I had, I had gotten this great job offer, thought I was going to go do that. So I invested my life savings up to that point in diversified mutual funds and with the dot com bubble burst that crashed about 60 or 70% within the first 6 months probably so that was my introduction to the the working world and to the stock market that's unbelievable that's devastating is it devastating or is it kind of sweet to get that sign on bonus and severance package for doing literally no work. It would have been sweet if it wouldn't have been, if it wouldn't have taken so long to find a new job. And I was actually really excited about the job. Uh, but you know, it took me, it took me a little less than a year, but I was finally able to land a job in aerospace and that moved me out to Denver. And so, you know, from that point, 
it all it all worked out because I did want to get out to the mountains at some point anyways. And so instead of my first job being in the city of Chicago, now it was in the mountains of Denver. So I think there was definitely a silver lining there with the location. What uh, what year are we talking about where you move out to Colorado? So moved out to Colorado uh, towards the end of 2002. Uh, that was when I started my you know full-time aerospace career. And it was kind of interesting because I was working, I got a job for a company that still offered a pension, which were becoming more and more rare even back then. And so, you know, from a money side and a financial planning side, I I knew I had this pension. I knew they had a 401k matching program. So I just put in the, the minimum, which was 8% to get a 4% match and just kind of set it and forget it. I uh, didn't really think much about financial planning. And I, at this time, around, around this time, you were also, I believe, uh, getting into real estate. Can you tell us about your foray into real estate when you moved out to Colorado? Yeah. So a year after, a year after starting the job, I closed on a house in Golden. And that's when I learned about what it is to be house poor. So I did what um, now we call house hacking. But back then, we just called uh, getting roommates to afford your mortgage and not feel broke. So I uh, got a couple of roommates, threw them down in the basement and uh, really got to see the the amazing power of house hacking, uh, you know, not even really known what I was doing there. I uh, just, just sort of stumbled into it out of, out of a perceived need, even though I could qualify for the mortgage. I just really didn't feel like I had, you know, any extra, any extra spending money. Okay, I was just going to ask you about that. When you when you said you felt house poor, what sort of extra money was available? Like like you were renting before you bought this house. What was your rent versus what is your now mortgage payment? Oh, yeah. So back at that point, you know, these are 2002 numbers, so adjust them accordingly, but it was about, you know, 700 and change, 750 a month for rent and then about 1200 a month mortgage. So once I got the the two roommates paying 400 per bedroom in the basement, I basically went down to paying about 400 a month versus the 750 a month and I was building equity and you know living uh living in a place that had more amenities, you know, just more square footage, guest bedrooms, stuff like that. And it feels more comfortable I think people get excited about buying a house because it's the American dream. And, oh, I have to buy a house because that's the next step. I have my, my, uh, it, because we're talking about you, I have my big boy job. So now I have to go buy a house because that's the next thing that I am obligated to do as an adult. And then you get your first mortgage payment. And you're like, ooh, that's a lot of extra money that I wasn't really counting on. Um, so, uh, I actually have clients, new, brand new clients right now. They're looking, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a real estate agent and I, uh, am helping them look for their new, their first house. And we started talking about, uh, you know, being a first time home buyer. So they have a copy of that book, Scott, first time home buyer. Scott and I wrote a book and, you know, I, I was talking to them about what feels comfortable as a mortgage payment. It doesn't matter what the lender approves you for. It's what feels comfortable for you to make payments at and to go from 750 to 1250 right now in 2023. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I'll take 1250, but when you, that's a $500 a month jump, $400. Yeah. Five. Let me do my math really quick. That's $500 a month more than you were paying. That's a lot 
when it's actually time to write that check. I think that's an important uh, point to make just because you buy a house. Now, was that the most that you could, did you afford, did, uh, did you pay the most that you were qualified to buy or did the bank actually approve you for more? Yeah, that's actually, that was the scary part for me. I was like, I didn't even stretch on this and it feels like a stretch, but I think it's important to look at the the percentages. So I went to buy a house. I ended up signing up for a mortgage. It was basically 50% more expensive than I was paying. But then by house hacking, I was able to cut it in half effectively. Well, awesome. So, so we have this great house hack. We've got, uh, you know, you've got a good job. I imagine you're able to save pretty solidly at this point and enjoy a good lifestyle. What's kind of the next phase of your, of your journey here? How do things progress from there? Yeah, good question. I basically became an accidental Ramsey disciple. I didn't even know who he was at the time, but I just didn't feel comfortable with having being in debt basically for the next 30 years. So what I did with that extra money was I socked it into my, you know, paying down my mortgage. So I I was able to to pay off my house over the course of about 12 years. And that's really you know, that's really what I did for a while there. And then I had, you know, a pretty, pretty big wake up call in, I guess that would have been 2014. So like 12 ish years later. And that was the point where I had gotten married and then was getting divorced. And my company of that point, 12 years froze the pension plan. And uh, when I ran the numbers out for a traditional retirement, that was like a basically a million dollar hit to total re- retirement income. So those two things were pretty pretty eye opening. So let's let, let's unpack both of these things. So we just we 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 started with a house hack where we're doing really well. We fast forward twelve years, two thousand fifteen, and there's another event here. In that time period, for that that twelve years. Uh, you were basically just socking wealth away in the form of paying down your mortgage and owning a home free and clear. Were you doing any other types of investing besides contributing potentially some and so some degree to this pension plan that you referenced? Yeah, I had a small a small Roth IRA. Uh, fun fact, I actually started that with poker winnings. I got into playing a lot of poker years ago and I uh, actually was able to use that to start the the Roth IRA. So I had a a meager Roth IRA. And over the years, uh, as I started to get more comfortable and get some promotions and salary growth, I upped my uh, 401k contributions, but literally it was all, it was all uh, home equity and retirement accounts was my entire net worth. At that point, there was very little of, of anything else. No, I think I finally opened a brokerage account sometime around when I got married uh, but you know nothing substantial in there. Bigger Pockets does not endorse gambling for investment purposes. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so so we're you you're let's let's go through the divorce and let's go through the pension um uh, in the next little bit here. What walk us through what the financial outcome? Yeah, and and I'll start with a couple of disclaimers. You know, one, I'll I'll talk about some things that were, you know, 
very frustrating in the system, but you know, I, I accept full responsibility. I chose to get married. I chose not to get a prenup. Uh, so don't take any of this as me uh, shucking that responsibility. Also, I want to recognize that marriage takes two people to be successful. And I take at least 50% of the blame in this marriage not working out. And then also I can only speak from my experience from a Colorado law standpoint. Uh, but getting into the question, the stats really, you know, they, it cost about $50,000 in legal fees. We, I can't honestly remember what the total, uh, joint net, you know, net that we were splitting up was, but I can tell you that the, the split was anything but 50 50 in a real sense. Uh, so, she even got 30k more than me on the back end um, just because the system really is set up to protect the lower earner for some obvious reasons, but they just didn't really apply in our case, but the legal system doesn't really care. Uh, it just just basically does its thing. Um, and so I ended up losing about 30% of my net worth. And to put it in perspective, uh, the marriage was during a great three-year bull run. So um, like 2012 to 2015, uh, when it was all said and done. So my net worth still managed to increase 45% over that time. Uh, hers increased 560%. So if that puts it in any kind of perspective there, it was it was definitely a huge swing in how how it all played out. And the weird thing is, that sounds like, oh, she must have had a good lawyer or, or whatever. The lawyers, I don't think they changed the outcome by one single dollar other than taking 50K out of the joint assets for the pleasure of them putting their names on stuff. Let me, let me just make a couple observations here so that so folks that are not in uh, Colorado, for example, will understand what's going on here. I believe what you just kind of emphasized here is you came in with a certain amount of property, right? A paid off house, 401k plans, some cash, some after-tax brokerage accounts, the Roth IRA, these, these balances. Your wife came in with a lot less. In Colorado, if you get divorced after a three-year period, which would be considered a short-term marriage, then your property, uh, the property you came in with is yours and the property that she came in with is hers. But the increase in value during the course of the marriage is what's considered marital property. And because you came with a lot of property that appreciated and the appreciation on that property was split 50, 50 with you and your wife, right. Uh, and the divorce is that, is that, is that a correct assessment of what happened here? That is an exact assessment. And that was a shock to me because at that point I did understand compounding interest. And I was like, well, clearly she won't get the gains off of my, things that I started with, but the legal system does not draw that fine of a line. They don't, they don't care about compounding interest whatsoever. Yeah. And, and look, we, you know, uh, we recently had a baby, so I know we have a, a, an attorney walk through estate plans and all that kind of stuff. And so that was the, uh, uh I, I know a lot about this and I'm pretty fresh off of that experience for, with, with, uh, uh, setting up a, a will and, and a, a trust and all that kind of stuff. But that's, that's what's going on here. And so what the, the, the big takeaway, and we said this before a few times on the show, but is if you don't have a prenup, um, then that doesn't mean that there are not rules governing this. You effectively do have a prenup in place if you choose not to get one on your own. It's the laws of the state that you're living in or that you're living in at the time of, of your future 
uh, divorce or the future end result of your uh, happy marriage, right? On with that. So, so that's, that's what happened here is you had a prenup. It was the laws of the state of Colorado. You just probably weren't aware of it and didn't, and didn't really think about it that way during the course of this. Is that right? Correct. I did not appreciate how the, the legal system was set up here in that regard. Did you actively choose not to get a prenup or did you just simply not think about it? I didn't really think about it, I guess. Um, well, and that's that's not like a, an accusatory question. I think a lot of people don't think about it. You j- you're in the love bubble and you're why would I be thinking about a divorce when I'm getting married? And we did a really deep dive episode on uh, prenups on episode 301 with Aaron Thomas, who is a prenup attorney who explains how a prenup works. And my husband suggested a prenup. When before we were getting married and I was like, don't you ever bring that up again. If you do, we won't even get married. And he never brought it up again. (laughs) Turns out when we go back in time, I actually had more money than he did. So maybe I should have protected my assets. Um, And talking to Aaron, he actually changed my view about prenups. Um, So it's a great episode. If you are thinking about getting married, that is definitely something that you need to do uh, when you get married, if you get married in the future, Eric, would you get a prenup? Yes, definitely. And uh, as long as we're giving marriage advice, <laughs> I will say that uh, one thing I would definitely do differently is is do premarital counseling. I think that is something we don't talk about enough, but is a, a really powerful tool because marriages are going to be work. They're going to be hard. And if you don't come in there with some tools to be able to handle those situations, your chance of success is much lower. And so I think it's it's actually not unlike real estate investing. You know, it takes work. You have to go in with the expectation that it's going to to have challenges and you need to prepare yourself for that. So education, the right mindset, uh, developing the right tools. That's an excellent piece of advice. If you are thinking about getting married, hit the back button and re-listen to that because marriage is not hard. It's not easy. It's work. And the more work you put into it, the easier it is, the less daunting the task seems to be. But yeah, absolutely. Um, totally love that. And also you got to put yourself, cause like the person who's going to benefit from this is someone who's contemplating getting married in the future, right. Um, on a go forward basis. And so you may, you might say, Hey, I, I, I think I kind of got what Scott said there about the, you know, uh, about marital estate law and all that kind of stuff. And that, that kind of makes sense for my situation or whatever. Let's say, let's say you agree with that. And that would be what you'd put in your prenup. For example, you'd still want to get a prenup, even if you completely agreed with your state law on how to handle, um, the assets in a marriage. Because what if you move in a future, in a future state to a different state that has different rules and get caught by a surprise? With that. And then you, at least you know going into that, and you're not going to have a surprise, for example, um, which Eric, it sounded like this was a really nasty surprise and really tough for you um, in, in the divorce here. Yeah, it was definitely a big surprise. And it was, it was frustrating because you couple it with just the emotion of the biggest failure of my life at that point, you know, standing up in front of family and friends and pledging, you know, till death do you part, and then being like, ah, just kidding. We're not, it's not going to work out, you know, thanks for the wedding gifts, but you know, we're, we're done. So it was, yeah, it, it was an emotional time just from a personal failure sense. And I'm a pretty competitive person. So, you know, failure is tough. 
This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. Pretty good episode, right? While you were listening, you could have been getting paid rent with RentApp. Landlords love RentApp because it makes rent collection a breeze. RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit funds directly into your account. Setup is straightforward for renters. Landlords don't need to download anything. Both have peace of mind with a digital transaction history. Isn't it time you made landlording a little easier? RentApp, the best way to pay or collect rent. Learn more at rent.app slash landlord. That's rent.app slash landlord. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. 
Okay, so this is one half of the disaster here from a financial and life standpoint that, that we're talking about. The other big news that you got around the same time was that your company froze the pension plan. What had you run us through the, the high level math on this, on this, this, uh, this problem that arose at the same time? Yeah, I don't have a ton of the numbers handy, but I can give you broad brush to give you an idea. But, you know, basically what, what they did is they said, okay, we're freezing the pension. So after this year in the, in the near future, you, you'll no longer get salary increases applied to it. And in this year in the near future, you'll no longer get additional years of service that go into the pension calculation for what your, your benefits are. So when, if I remember right, when I was running the scenario of like 3% salary growth, which is very conservative, uh, because it doesn't include promotions, um, at 65, I'd have like a $12,000 a month benefit. So then when this all happened, I ended up with about a $2,000 a month benefit at 65. So $10,000 a month. Now, granted, that's, not accounting for inflation. So that, that number is going to feel smaller at that point, but that's still significant change in the overall uh, benefit for the pension. Okay. So the pension plan you'd been, con did you have to contribute to this pension plan or was this being, was this just part of your compensation? The company was funding it um, as a benefit. Entirely. It was purely uh, funded by the company. Okay. So you're, so the company is funding this pension plan. It's, it's a part of the benefits package you were advertised. Uh, when you joined, you'd been at the company for a long time. So you thought there was, it was going to be in there and it kind of the trajectory changed dramatically at this point in time. The end outcome would have been, you know, a, a, a multi-million dollar pension benefit. You know, if you were to consider that an asset, um, it'd be worth millions of dollars at that. Uh, as a stable income stream. And then it dropped by 80% in terms of the value of the, the output of it. Yeah. And to be, to be fully fair to the company, uh, they did offer, once they phased it out, they did offer an additional uh, 401k match, uh, but it was not, <laughs> not the same as far as the overall impact um, that it would have had for me, especially switching midstream, the way that it played out. Did they change this on everybody or just newer employees? Everybody. Wow. I mean, that's a big wallop to your overall compensation. Yeah. So, you know, it, it impacted certain certain types of people more, you know, depending on where you were in your career. If you were really close to the end of your career, it was a small impact. If you're kind of in the middle there, that was the biggest impact. And if you're early on, you were like, ah, cool. I wasn't really planning on this thing anyways. And now I get a, an extra 401k match, which is real money. And they can't take that away from me. So, you know, I think I was, I was in that spot where it had more of the maximum pain. Uh, but even the people probably like five or 10 years ahead of me probably got the worst of it though, to be honest. I think I got out a little. A little more unscathed at that point. So you had previous investments before you got married. How were they impacted in your divorce? They basically all ended up getting split 50-50. There was very, very few things that didn't get split 50-50 because even if you don't actively contribute to them, if they, if you touch them in any way, they become joint 
marital assets. So, you know, very few things were just hanging out there on their own. I think like the one thing that I didn't have to split was uh, when I was 13, I got three shares of McDonald's stock and that was just automatic dividend reinvesting. And uh, I think that was the one thing I got, you know, to keep completely untouched, you know, that and like your uh, personal vehicle, those, since we both had our cars coming in, you know, those didn't get split in any kind of way, but, but yeah, all the, the 401k, the brokerage account, the Roth IRAs, you know, all that got the pension plan, all that stuff got split up. Wow. What about your house? Oh yeah, that got split up. (laughs) And uh, she, she had actually contributed the last like 20k to paying it off right when we got married. Um, So, you know, she had a little bit of money in it. uh, But, you know, I had put years and years of, of things, work and money uh, and time into that house that real estate really started taking off again from 2012 to 2015 when it was finalized. So that, you know, she got to split 50-50 all the gains in that three-year time stretch, which was significant. That was almost, that was like a 40, 40 to 45% growth. Yeah, that was that was a huge amount of growth for real estate values. Uh, did you end up selling that house and splitting the proceeds or did you buy her out of the house? I bought her out of the house and then I proceeded to pay off the same house for a second time. Woohoo! So if you ever met anyone that's paid off the same house twice. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not laughing at your experience. I'm laughing at the way you said that. Oh, please do. It's <laughs> We've got to be able to laugh, right? Yes. So what advice would you give someone ahead of getting married to avoid a massive decrease in their wealth? Is there anything outside of the the prenup? Yeah. You know, one thing that I didn't do that I wish I would have, because it kind of hurts you in the end, if this is the outcome, is when you're cohabitating with a partner ahead of marriage and it's your place, charge them rent. Uh, you know, figure out something that that makes sense because you basically she ended up living you know rent free for four years. Uh, she she got a lot of uh, financial benefits that when I was looking at purely from the we're going to be together forever thing totally made sense because you know we it was helping both of us. She was able to pay off her debts, come into the marriage uh, nice and clean uh, from a financial sheet, but. But yeah, there, you don't get any credit for that during the divorce. So the fact that um, she had been living rent-free for four years, not a line item when you get to that final tally from the lawyer standpoint and from the legal system. So, you know, my advice other than the obvious, the things we already talked about with the the prenup and the premarital counseling is just if you are going to to cohabitate, work out something that makes sense uh, just in case it doesn't really work out. Um, and then you're not totally left holding the bag. Okay. So what happens next? You pay off the house for a second time here. Um, you've gone through a divorce a couple of years go by. What, 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 what happens next in your financial journey? Well, next, you know, there was, once the dust settled, there was just a lot of introspection and, you know, self-reflection trying to figure out what do I want 
out of life. And one of those, you know, one of those things that really came into, into focus for me was that I didn't want to sit in a cube for 40 hours a week until I was 65, 67 and kind of the classic corporate America retirement thing. Uh, I also knew that I wanted to, I wanted to take control of my financial future. And so I, I knew I wasn't confident that I could rely solely on a corporation to have my best interests at heart. Uh, having seen the dot com and now the, the great recession, the, you know, 2008 financial crisis meltdowns, I didn't feel comfortable solely relying on Wall Street either. So, you know, I was kind of stuck and I, and having done the, the Ramsey thing, I, I also was starting to realize like I couldn't just frugal my way to early retirement. I mean, frugality is great, but you also need to create some, some cash flow too. And, and I started, I looked at my, my financial position and, and I guess as Scott, as you would say, I, I had really no financial runway. I had no optionality. Everything was locked up in home equity and retirement accounts. So the first thing that I did after I, I realized this was I started, you know, saving and putting money into a brokerage account where I could figure out what to do next. And that kind of gets me to where I actually met Scott for the first time, uh, where <laughs> my friend had bought his book in 2017, right when it came out and thought it was cool. So he let me borrow it. I read it. And then he's like, Hey, uh, I invited this guy, Scott, to, to come over to my house for dinner. And we're going to talk about, you know, finances and investing and stuff. Do you want to come? And so, so yeah, I came there and I think I was, I think I was kind of a, it's kind of a whiny. I was struggling with trying to figure out what to do. And I didn't understand, I didn't really understand the the difference between ROI and ROE. So return on investment, return on equity. And it was really hamstringing me because I was, I just couldn't quite get my, my arms around the problem that I had in front of me. Cause it was like, I got a paid off house. Like, how come I can't get to early retirement faster? And I realized took years and actually um, Chris Lopez, who you all know, and he recently had an episode, a short episode on the bigger pockets main channel about ROE. I'd recommend if you don't, if you don't think in ROE terms, watch that and, and start thinking about it. Cause that in the last five years has probably been the biggest mind expanding concept that's really helped me uh, get off of analysis paralysis where I was for several years. So walk us, can you give us a practical example of how this was holding you back, this concept and, and what, what flipped once you started understanding it? Yeah. So, I mean, here, here I was, I had been, I'd been paying off, I'd been putting all of my money into, you know, paying off a low interest mortgage. And so, you know, effectively getting like a 4% return. Uh, and, and then I was trying to figure out how to, how to move forward with pretty good monthly cash flow because I, I had low expenses at that point. But I wasn't looking at the uh, several hundred thousand dollars that was locked up in my home equity. So I was sacrificing the ability to put that to work for me in a better way 
to accelerate my, you know, financial goals basically. So, you know, when I finally got off the dime years later, so this is like 2018 now to give you perspective, uh, and bought a new house, which I house hack currently and I'm standing in. I, I sold my old house and unlocked, uh, at, because of all the gains, I unlocked 400K of, of deployable capital. And since then, I've just been uh, putting that where I think it can do the most work versus before I understood the, the ROE concept, I was going to, I was going to literally use most of that money to pay down the, the mortgage on the new house. Okay. So we had 400,000. So have you ever gone back and done the math about how much you paid down for the mortgage? And, you know, you're talking about opportunity cost here. You paid down your property instead of, instead of investing it in something else. And for return on equity versus ROI, here's a great example of, of how that might, well, how, how do I explain this concept very simply? A lot of people, I think when you're looking at a property, will say, I've got $400,000 in that property. Now, um, I put in, you know, uh, 50,000 20 years ago, and therefore I made this enormous ROI. That's great. That's a wonderful analysis. Maybe you've made, maybe you did make that ROI, but on an annualized basis or on a go forward basis, what are you going to earn now? Right. A $400,000 property in Denver. Um, maybe it, maybe it makes $2,000, $2,500 in rent, something in that ballpark. You're going to earn probably a four or 5% cash flow if you're lucky um, on that on a cap rate basis. And you're going to get maybe one to three points of appreciation going forward. So your return on equity going forward is only going to be five to 7%, depending on what you believe uh, about the projection on that property. And what, how can you expand that um, going forward? How can you always be redeploying your portfolio into what's going to produce the best returns for you on a go forward basis? It's not what about what's been the past. That's about what's going to look like going forward. Is that kind of the revelation that you had? And as an output of that, you take your $400,000 uh, house, you sell it and you redeploy it into much higher ROI initiatives than paying down low interest rate debt. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. And I think opportunity cost is probably the best way to describe it for, for easiest understanding. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. You look at it and, and in your example, if you can get five or 6%, but you have to deal with being a landlord, well, why aren't you just going to invest in the stock market, right? And get, get seven to 10%. So you, before I learned to think that way, I was struggling to, to figure out next steps. So once you've redeployed this, what is your, what does your portfolio look like and where have you gotten to today? Well, originally I got, I embarked on a strategy to buy two fourplexes, which I was, you know, I still wasn't totally broken of my, my habits. I was going to pay them both off and then use the cash flow of the paid off fourplexes to fund early retirement. Um, so I started down that path, bought a fourplex in Colorado. And at the same, same year, within a, a few months of that, actually, uh, some friends of mine who I knew from aerospace who had been uh, real estate investors since basically day one of their adult lives started doing uh, multifamily syndications. So they started raising money for large apartment complexes from, from investors. And they, at this time that I had all of this money sitting in my checking account needing to be deployed from the sale of the house, they reached out and said, Hey, we're, you know, we're buying this, this big apartment complex in Colorado Springs. Here's the deal. Would you be interested? And I, 
was like, oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, I'll do that. Kind of cavalierly uh, wired them money and got in on it, not knowing too much other than I knew that they were 100% trustworthy and experienced. And so um, once I saw how over the next couple of years, my fourplex and the uh, syndication performed the big apartment complex, I said, you know what, this whole buying more small multifamilies and, and managing them is not really for me. Uh, that doesn't align to my core values and isn't exactly what I'm looking for. The investing in syndications uh, is definitely more this the style that I'm looking for. And so uh, since then, I've re-architected my plan to focus uh, all my real estate investments going forward into uh, bigger deals as you know a limited partner. So basically, a, a silent silent partner with no work whatsoever on my part. Awesome. What what uh, what is your portfolio? Can you give us a kind of ballpark of of the amount, maybe the total size of your portfolio? As it stands today, yeah. So I've got you know I've got the house that I live in in House Hack. I've got the the fourplex, and then I am in a limited partner, you know, investor in seven uh, multifamily syndication deals. So that's my. Well, I guess I'll put that as that's my real estate side, and then I've got you know the four hundred one k and brokerage account, and you know other like Roth IRA uh, retirement assets that I'm saving. So, you know, I de determined that what I felt comfortable with was about a 50-50 Wall Street to uh, real estate split. And so that's that's the direction I've been going on that uh, to, to build out a portfolio that, you know, can help me sleep at night. Well, Eric, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, we are very excited for the future for you. And um, now that you've unlocked the power of return on equity, um, I'm sure that you're, uh, you're you're soaring to millionaire status. Where can people find out more about you? Thanks. Yeah. Hit me up on LinkedIn. Send a connection request. I try and connect with people through there. And then uh, you can reach out to me directly via email as well. Eric at regencyinvestmentgroup.com. And that's probably the two places I'd recommend. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Eric. And we will talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. It was a pleasure. All right, Scott. That was Eric. And that was kind of a little scary to see the consequences of not having a prenup. And I just want to reiterate what a great episode our prenup episode was. That's episode 301 Aaron Thomas from prenups.com. He's an attorney who specializes in prenups. And I'm not kidding when I say that Aaron changed my mind about prenups. So if you are thinking about getting married, listen to that episode. Even if you don't think that you have any money or anything to protect, even if you think prenups are just planning for a divorce, which they are not, if you're getting married, you owe it to your future millionaire self to devote an hour and 10 minutes to listen to that episode. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, the, what I just stated in there, you have a prenup. If you don't have, a, if you haven't signed one, you still have one. It's the laws of the state that you are that you uh, of the state you're living in at the time you get divorced, right? That's your prenup. Um, so you know that that's too much variability. It's not fair to either party, even if you expect, which I'm assuming, I'm assuming we all do, your marriage to last forever. Um, there are rules that are set in place, and you need to understand them. 
Absolutely. You can't make plans if you don't understand how the game is played. So I was curious. So I looked it up and, you know, um, uh, Eric and, and, and his wife had a short marriage. If they'd had a longer marriage, then there would be even more complicating factors in there, such as spousal assistance, right? And, and like payments, alimony that, that would be paid usually from the higher income earner to the lower income earner during those, the courses of those marriage. So understand that in the context, even of these things, like that's a short marriage, that's a simple. Um, very straightforward approach there. Like he said that the lawyers didn't probably add one bit of value. Um, that's probably true, right? They probably valued the assets <laughs> at the beginning of the marriage and valued them at the end and had them, had them, uh, go out there and one side had to represent each, each party. So that's a, a good day for lawyers and a bad day for the marriage, obviously, with this. The longer the marriage, though, the more complicated that stuff gets, the harder it is to go back in time and value the assets, I'd imagine, the harder it is to figure out what's equitable and fair, and the more likely it is that someone like Eric would be paying the other spouse um, uh, alimony uh, on an ongoing basis. So again, those are the laws of your state um, and how that, and how that will probably like those, they're, those are likely to be similar to the laws of your state, which, you know, they do vary, but not a ton in, in all these different cases, go look them up and figure out what that is. Understand if that's what you and your spouse wants. And if you're already married, you can still um, uh, take care of this kind of stuff. And you can just kind of put together simple paperwork, for example, that would value your estate at the time you got married, for example. Um, you might need to do that anyways if you're creating wills or uh, um, estate plans and those types of things. So um, it's never too late to go ahead and do all that stuff. It's a really good thing, and I think it empowers both people in a marriage. Just have a clear, spelled out set of rules. It does not have to be a, this is mine, this is your situation. You can call it all community property. Just call it something so that each party is clear and there's not an information um, barrier between parties or anything like that. So can't recommend this enough. Um, don't be caught by surprise um, in these things. Um, and it's something to talk about. Yes. And in matters of money, it's always wise to think with your head and not your heart. Don't let your emotions get in the way. Do it with a level head and think logically. And that's what a prenup allows you to do. All right, Scott, should we get out of here? Let's do it. That wraps up this episode of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. He is Scott Trench, and I am Mindy Jensen saying goodbye, cherry pie. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple. And if you're looking for even more money content, feel free to visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash biggerpocketsmoney. Bigger Pockets Money was created by Mindy Jensen and Scott Trench. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Exodus Media. Copywriting by Nate Weintraub. Lastly, a big thank you to the Bigger Pockets team for making this show possible. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.
Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions.